Hello, Guilty Feminist. This is Deborah. We're heading off to Australia and New Zealand, where we will be appearing live and recording an episode in Christchurch on the 11th of May, Auckland on the 14th of May, Wellington on the 15th of May, Adelaide on the 18th of May, Perth on the 20th, Sydney on the 23rd, Melbourne on the 25th, Brisbane on the 27th, and finally Canberra on the 28th of May. So get in and get your tickets now. They are going very fast. Please go to guiltyfeminist.com and just click on live shows for any of these events. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. I'm a feminist, but when I was recently live on Radio 4, and we were talking about our fantasy dinner party list. In retrospect, I should have said Maya Angelou, Erica Young, and Bodicea. I actually said John Hamm, <laughs> me, and everyone else can sod off. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but when I recently locked myself out of my bedroom and was quoted £300 by the locksmith, I did what any self-respecting feminist would do. I went to the bathroom, I put on so much makeup, I wore a low-cut top and flirted the hell out of him, with him and got £50 knocked off. <laughs> Can I just ask, where did you get the low-cut top? Because your bedroom was locked. Yeah, no. Um, the wash. So it was fresh. <laughs> and it Women was damp. Women are resourceful. They really are. It's like damp. Oh, no wonder. You quit out in a wet T-shirt. I'm surprised you paid anything. I'm a feminist. But if I were told that GHD hair straighteners would shorten my life by six months, I'd want to know how long I had to live. I mean, like, if I only had six months left to live... No, obviously, I'd just immediately stop using them. If I had a year, no, no, that's two years, no, obviously, I would not use them. But if you were like, well, yeah, you're going to be super old, like 101, and it will be the last six months you'll lose. I mean, GHD straighteners have really changed my life. I'm not going to lie to you, I would not give them up. I'm a feminist, but when a dear white male friend of mine called me up and said that he wanted to start up a group to discuss and dismantle white male privilege, and he wanted me to be a leader in this group, I told him, yeah, I'm well up for it, but the truth was that I could not be fucked. <laughs> I just thought, like, I like my neck being attached to the rest of my body and I'm not up for going into a room full of white men and telling them why they're ruining the world. I was like, I'm not doing that. Also, like, black women have been talking about this shit for ages. I'm tired. Like, you sort it out between yourselves. Like. I do hear that. Was he going to pay you? No. So what, was it just come along and it, Come along, sit us, us down and just tell us, like, where we're going wrong. I was like... <laughs> there! There! That's where you're going wrong. Could you give up a night a week of your free time to come and educate us about how we use you? It just, it was so, it was just... <laughs> I mean, that's just 101. It's wonderful. Yeah, you just say, yeah, 100 quid an hour. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Because you know white guys have got that money. At least one They've of them. have got that money. Let's just say, yeah, 100 quid an hour. I'm a feminist, but I sometimes wonder how promiscuous I could be if I were single and a lesbian. And I kind of want loads of lesbians and bisexual women to vote on how hot I am. So I know my number out of ten. It's possible I'm bisexual is what I think I'm saying. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, though? Does anyone else wonder... Am I the only one that wonders that? No, you have. Thank you. I have ones that I've never found out. Yeah. <sighs> okay, what I'm saying to you, lovely women in the front row, is can I come home with you, is what I'm saying. <laughs> 
what I'm saying. There we go. I'm a feminist, but when I was involved in a car collision the other day, there were two men who got out of their cars and started fighting. And I decided to start crying in order for them to stop. And it worked because I'm really cute and a terrific actress. <laughs> Live from the Shepherd's Bush Comedy Festival at the Bush Theatre, the Spontaneity Show presents The Guilty Feminist with Deborah Francis White and guest co-host Susie Vakoma and very special guest Somalia Seaton talking about silence. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. So tonight we are talking about silence, Mm. um, which is exciting. The power of silence, when we feel silence, when we self-silence. Just generally we're talking about silence, but because it's a podcast, we won't just have loads of dead air. We would still (laughs) feel the silence. It'd be great if it was just like 90 minutes of just us... (laughs) So, Susie, what was your silence challenge? Ah, yes, my challenge was this week I decided to start singing lessons. (gasps) Yeah, because there's always an assumption that I know how to sing. I don't know why. For the guys at home, I'm pointing to my skin. People just think, oh, like, they'll be like, oh, can you sing? And I'll be like, "Mm, no. And they'll be like, but you you can sing. I'm like, I'm I'm fucking telling you that I can't. So everyone thinks I can sing. But um, there was a real point. When I was at drama school, I went to RADA, and the one class that you have throughout the whole three years is singing. And uh, I had a lovely teacher called Craig Barber who used to insist that everybody can sing. I think he was wrong. But he thinks that everybody can sing, and through singing, you find your voice, and you get in confidence, and all this stuff. I used to actually really enjoy it was the one place I did enjoy singing and then sadly he passed away when we were in our second year and I just sort of I was a little bit over singing I didn't want to do it anymore and I lost confidence with it and so in memory of him and order to sort of boost my confidence I've taken up singing lessons again get a cup for me man um however I still can't fucking sing but there we go could you give us a little bit of something no, I won't. Never mind, I'll find some. No, no, I can't. That was, quite, that was great, though. I just, <laughs> just the initial, just, you just do it. You just jump off. Yeah. Never mind, no, I'll find I've, someone like you. I wish nothing but the best for you, too. Don't forget me. Sometimes it lasts in love, but sometimes it hurts. <laughs> See the power of singing. It's true, the power of singing is great. And at the leadership day that we did, we had a gospel choir, and the people that did that breakout session said it was life changing. And I think we probably do need to start a guilty feminist gospel choir. <laughs> Um, yeah, I would go to that. I mean, I would be obliged to go to it because it'd be called the guilty. <laughs> You'd, have to, like, You'd have to run shame. it. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, 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 no. The women who do this are just unbelievable. And no, I would be very much in the back row, going. Sometimes. Hi guys, I'm going to tell you a story, I'm going to tell you a story because I'm an actress and I tell stories and that's what I do and I have to say that every time that I agree to co-host the Guilty Feminist podcast, it is a little bit of a self-bravery defiance because I can be quite shy and I constantly have people tell me, oh Suze, you're, you're really funny, oh Suze, you should do comedy, oh you should use your voice, you should use your voice and it got me thinking about all the times in my life where I didn't use my voice and like a lot of people that's been too many times Uh, just a couple of examples just off the top of my head because you know I haven't prepared this before for hours um okay first example is I was I was on a date and I was sitting down with this guy and uh we're talking about like what I did and I'd just done a play I'd done a Shakespeare play in New York and this guy looked me straight in the eye and he said I don't I don't know who Shakespeare is Um, and he said it so confidently he said it like it was something that I'd find amusing and I really wish that I told him to fuck off from whatever cave that he'd been 
sleeping in. But instead, I went home with him and dated him for two years. So that's, a, that's an example. <laughs> that's an example where I wish I'd said one thing and then I just sort of like, right, nature take its course. Um, uh, another example, just quickly off the top of my head. I went to the endoscopy unit at St. Thomas's. Don't laugh. <laughs> it was for a friend. If you don't know what... <laughs> It was! Oh my god, it was. Um, now she's going to feel really bad that I'm bringing this up. But um, endoscopy, if you don't know what an endoscopy is, it's when they put a camera up your ass and they just check and they just make sure that everything is cool. And I went with a friend of mine who was going away for a while and she's got loads and loads of problems down there. So we were just, gonna, before having lunch, uh, we were going to go there, just make sure that she had an appointment for the next day all sorted. And so we walk into the endoscopy unit and I could see the endoscopist. Yeah. And... Um, <laughs> she was talking to my friend and this woman as she was talking to my friend she sort of kept on glancing at me and I knew what she wanted to ask because every black person with big hair knows when this is about to happen you can feel we've all got centers where we're like it's gonna happen in three two one she speaks to my friend she's like yes we'll see you tomorrow for your endoscopy we'll see you tomorrow can I touch your hair she didn't even fucking breathe and what I did, I went <laughs> like that. What I should have said was this. Ma'am. I'm not even being rude when I say this. But your job, I'm not being cocky, I'm not being, I'm not being a bitch. But your job is literally putting your fingers up the asses of people. What makes you fucking think I'm going to let you touch my hair? But I didn't do that. I went, <laughs> and I walked away. Now, there's a clear moment in my childhood where I actually learnt the value and power of silence. Now, I think that this might be an example that a lot of you have been through, this very specific moment. I can pinpoint it exactly. And it's that moment in your childhood when the bailiffs come to your house to take your mum and dad's worldly possessions. That's what happened to us. We were really poor and um, my parents were really bad with their money. We constantly had the bailiffs coming over to take shit. It was like a drill. You'd hear the knock. My mum would look at us and be like, get down on the floor. And we'd hit the deck. We'd hit the deck and we'd shut the fuck up. We just knew what was going down. And it was this knock. It was the kind of knock that only drug dealers and poor people know. It's the knock of authority. It's the kind of knock where you know that the other person on the other side of that door has arrived to just fuck up your day. Like, so you hear that knock and you're like, down, hit the deck. But then I messed things up, guys. I messed things up. One day, I just, I lost my mind. And what happened was I was a child and a child has that point in their life where they find their voice, like a fucking dickhead. So... <laughs> One day, I wanted a twister. I wanted a fucking twister after school. My mum said, no, you're not having a twister. Why do you need a twister? I was like, this bitch is going to try me today. So this is what I did. <laughs> that night, the knock comes, the knock of authority. So we were all like, all oh, right, my brother's sisters, they hit the deck. I didn't. I looked to my mum... I kept eye contact. I strode to the door. I opened the door. I looked at the guy and I went, we're not in. <laughs> oh, I wish it ended with that. I wish it ended with that applause. It didn't. So they came in. Oh, came in. And this time it was for TV license and my parents didn't have enough money to pay for our TV license. So what they ended up doing was something... I've never heard this before. They installed a meter that was attached to our TV. And any time we wanted to watch TV, we had to put one pound. One pound in, which equal an hour. And then they'd come at the end of every week, they'd empty the meter, they'd take the money... And then we'd have to keep doing that until we paid our TV license. And so when people tell me, Suze, Suze, you're really funny. You should use your voice. You're so sassy. And great, you should use your voice. I think back to the hours, the weeks that we went without TV. I think back to me looking at that bailiff, thinking that I'm all sassy and funny with my little line. And I think about the hot backhand that my mum gave me. And I just think, you know what? Sometimes it's all right to shut the fuck 
up. Thank you very much, guys. What's your, what was your challenge? challenge? What's um, your challenge? Okay, so this week I got a direct message from somebody who works with Sisters Uncut. Does anyone know the feminist group Sisters Uncut? They're really amazing. We probably need to get more down with Sisters Uncut because they are yeah. super feminist. I mean, if you want to feel lightweight, start a podcast called The Guilty Feminist, then go down and hang out with <laughs> Sisters Uncut as they occupy Holloway Prison. Um, Holloway Prison got shut down and all of the prisoners... Were, who were all women, were sent to what they were calling Tory mega prisons in the regions. And a lot of them, of course, are from London, and now their families can't afford to go and visit them, or whoever's caring for their children doesn't have time to get on a National Express bus and go the five hours to where they are. So it's been a really cruel thing. But the reason the government did it, and I think you'll understand when you hear why they had to do this, was they needed to turn Holloway Prison into luxury flats. So, of course, it makes sense now. Uh, um, yeah, well, I think they're going to update them. I don't think. I don't think. I think they're going to get. Some I mean, London is bad. In, I London is bad, but I don't think they're just going to go. I mean, they do. might. They might. I am being sarcastic when I say, of course, just in case that wasn't clear. Uh, uh, of course, the government had to do it because they had to turn. They have to turn everything into luxury flats. Yeah. Anything in North London. I have said to my husband at times. Presumably, at some point, we will get the notice from the council that we are being turned into luxury flats. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's it's an endemic. Yeah. We live in Camden. There'll be nothing in Camden for the people in luxury flats to do because the Crown and Goose has gone. The Black Cap's gone. You know, they just. Yeah. You know. But listen, I'm not in prison, so in a very real way, I may have deviated into why some of my favourite North London pubs <laughs> have been turned into luxury flats. I've gone... I'm really sorry, Citizen Uncut. I'm really sorry. Oh, God. Please edit all of this out, Tom. Um, so I went to visit Sisters Uncut because they had basically broken into... They'd found there was a window open at the Holloway Prison Visitor Centre. And they went in, they occupied it as a political occupation or a reclamation, as they called it, because it should be public land. And what they're asking for is for the government to turn it into a women's centre and affordable housing for women who need it. So either they never end up in prison in the first place, which is barbaric, or... If they've just come out of prison, there's somewhere for them to be that's safe and where they can be looked after. The government obviously really immediately got on that. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, they, well, they did because they sent down loads of police. And uh, so the police were just outside for a couple of days until eventually they went, oh, we're okay. Uh, and so they've stayed there for a week and it was truly amazing. Now, I went on the last night, which was Friday night. Some of the Sisters Uncut were reading poems. They were reading personal stories from some of the prisoners that had been written down. There was a silent vigil. It was really moving and really amazing. And the next day, I was working on a project. I won't say what it was. The people were really, really trying to do a good thing and were doing a good thing. But I had said, could it please be diverse? Because already the two leading roles in this piece were two white women. I was one of them. And I said, can the other women in it, could we go for diversity there, please? And gave them a list of names. And when I turned up, I looked down, and there were some women of colour, but there were no Asian women, and it was something political, and it was specific. And I, what I normally would have done is this. I wouldn't have been silent, but I would have done this. Um, oh, okay. And I saw all the pictures of everyone that's in it. And what I would have done is I would have gone over to somebody, just one-on-one, I would have said, just had a thought about getting some more Asian representation on this. Was there any chance you could have emailed some of the people that I mentioned? Or, And then that person would have talked to someone else. And I think it's because I'd just been with Sisters Uncard, who I feel like are really proper feminists. I just looked down and I went, in front of everyone. I don't know. It just, it was spontaneous. It came out of my mouth. It wasn't a decision. It just came out of my mouth. I just looked up and I went, can I complain? in front of everyone and they just went oh. and I went there are no Asian women here I don't think we can do this without some Asian representation because it's really important to the project that we have Asian representation it really was and they went oh oh well we asked so and so and I said did you ask x y and z on the list and they went oh oh and then they went off and they did something about it and we turned it around basically but I was so shocked at myself that I hadn't made it comfortable like, normally I'd speak up, but I'd make it really comfortable. And I think I made it a bit uncomfortable. But then I thought, 
I think that's probably a good thing because when things are uncomfortable, they remember it and they go, oh, that is important. And they were very well-meaning, really lovely people who went and fixed it. But I think next time, because it was uncomfortable, they'll remember. The same way that things have happened to me and I've been uncomfortable. I'm not perfect on this in any way. I sometimes, and I said to Susie the other day, honestly, where it comes to intersectional feminism and race, I feel consciously incompetent. And I feel a bit like when I talk to my friends who are women of colour or new women of colour that I meet, honestly, sometimes I feel like, you know when a man explains feminism to you because he's just discovered it? (laughs) I fear that's who I am to women of colour. And I just have to say, sorry, I'm trying to do this the best way I can. Tell me if it's not right. And sometimes when things are uncomfortable, they're the things you remember. You know, I don't really need to use my voice for myself so much. I'm very, very privileged. But to share the platform and to speak where you see a gap, I was just surprised it came out of me and I totally credit Sisters Uncut. And if you can go on their page and give them anything, like even a pound, please do, because I think they're doing amazing work. Amazing. Thank you. But no, it's really, we've had so many conversations and I feel like my involvement with Guilty Feminists isn't you sort of going, here's my privileged bit of thing, like come and tell us about all the black women and how you will feel. It's been a case of, firstly, it's a comedy, so if you're not funny, you're not invited. And, um, (laughs) but like, you know, that's the point of it. But also like a lot of the conversations, I can tell that you are so conscious of not being full of all the information, which no one is, but sometimes that fear can stop you having the conversation or a conversation or asking questions. And even though, yes, it can be tiring being in a position of teacher or educator, I mean, I'm learning every day when to clock out of that shit, but I much respect people who go, look, I want to change. You've got this platform. You want to invite diverse people onto the show. And that has to be not even applauded. It should be the norm. Like, And you're trying, and that's brilliant. So, well done. Um, Please welcome to the mic, Deborah Francis-White! <laughs> So tonight we are talking, tonight we're talking, tonight we're talking about silence. And is this thing on? Switch it, switch it off. Yeah, tonight we're talking about silence and I'm quite interested in the power of silence because I think as women we often think, I was silenced in that meeting, I was silenced, he talked right over the top of me and he stole my point and then everyone gave him credit and I was silenced. But I think we sometimes underestimate the power of silence. Silence can be one of the most powerful things that you do if you mix it with stillness. I'm going to show you what I mean right now. So, uh, this is silence number one. What's your name? I'm talking to the man one. (laughs) Hello, Christian. Okay, silence number two. If you're listening at home, I'm moving. What's your name? Hello, Christian. Do you see the difference? Okay. Actually, I'll hold the second one longer. What's your name? Oh, see how he went up in status there? Do you see what happened? Because I did. I was low status. The first time he went Christian, and this time he went Christian. <laughs> Christian Grey. <laughs> That's what happened. Right fucking there. He turned into Christian Grey the first time. He physically shrunk in his seat. The second time, he took his glasses off. (laughs) I don't know if you saw that, but he did. Did you know you did that? I empowered you by shifting from one foot to the other. I empowered you to take your glasses off. This is how important stillness and silence is. It's like physics. You can push somebody with stillness and silence, okay? So I'm not going to touch you, and I couldn't. What's your name? Abby. I'm not going to touch Abby. And I couldn't from here if I tried, okay? But I'm just going to be still and silent until Abby has to move. 
<laughs> Abby, look at me. There, she's moved. There you go. Do you see what I'm saying? Silence is everything. It's so much. It's such a power move. But if you're moving like this, if you don't have a still head, it lowers your status. If you have a still head, it raises your status. And this is because we were 10 million years on the savannah and we've only been 10,000 years here at the bush. So it's a long time to have got good at savannah living. And on the savannah, the chances are, if I'm the only one facing this way and you're all looking at me, even if I'm on the savannah even today and I'm on a lovely safari and I wander away from my safari party and I come out into a big open empty clearing like this and I look up and I see this many eyes looking at me, what probably am I? Pray, I'm lunch. Okay, so the fear of being in front of an audience is just the fear of being eaten. That's what public speaking fear is. It's the fear of being eaten. Because audiences look a lot like predators. You sit and stare. You're silent and still like lions. Think about lions in a nature documentary. They sit and stare. You don't see busy lions. <laughs> They're not potterers, the lions. And the lionesses actually hunt. It's true, the lionesses hunt. It's not the lions. The lionesses hunt. And the lioness will see the gazelle, and the gazelle will see the lion, and the gazelle will go, <laughs> small, indecisive movements, and the lionesses get stiller. You'll even see your domestic cat do this. The lioness will get stiller, and stiller, and stiller. And they wait to see which is the twitchiest gazelle, because that is the easiest one to catch. And when the lionesses move, they move with purpose. You do not see lionesses going, shall I get this one, or shall you? No, we go together, that'd be lovely. No, 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 I've got the last one. No, 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 it's yours, it's your gazelle. No, it's your gazelle, it's your gazelle, it's your gazelle. No, I didn't, I shouldn't. We could share it, we could share it, we could share it. Gazelle's fucked off, hasn't it? That's why they don't do that. Lionesses are still, or they move with purpose. And we forget about the power of stillness and silence. We forget about it. So I'm going to play a little role play now with Christian. Christian and I are in a meeting. And, uh, and Christian says something that is sexually inappropriate. It's like sexual harassment. So like, your tits look great in that top. Just in the middle of a meeting. So we're talking about, I don't know, let's say we're talking about briefs. Not underwear, that's wrong. Like, let's say we're just talking about, I don't know, what do you do, Christian? What's your job? Are you a lawyer? Great. Okay, what kind of law do you, are you in? Employment. Employment law. Okay, so you, you probably, you probably swerved this one. Do you know the, do you do many sexual harassment cases, yeah, Christian? Tons of, tons of them. How has this happened? So I'm going to say, I think what was said was inappropriate. And Christian's going to say something like, well, I understand why he might have been a bit inappropriate with you. Okay, something that's like borderline, but you just go, what? Okay. Oh, hold on. Yep. We, um, is yep. this on? Yeah. Are we, are we permitted a feminist side note? My girlfriend just apologised that I've been fingered. Favoured? Well, don't you do a podcast on apologies? Yeah. My girlfriend just apologised that I'm involved. What? Apologise to who? To me. Oh, I see. She I just said, thought oh, it was I'm interesting sorry. from the perspective of your material. Hey, it, pro it, proves I, it proves I listen, right? It is of interest. It's of interest, Christian. It is of interest. It is of interest. It is of interest. What you've done is you've shot your girlfriend like you're in a police state. There's one here, we've got an apologiser. It's not the handmaid's tale. We've got an apologiser, an apologiser in row three. You've done a podcast of apology. She hasn't learned anything. Come and get her and take her out of the rooms. Take her into the interview chamber where she will be beaten with an inch of her life until she stops apologising for it. I hear what you're saying, Christian. I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. All right. Okay, so we're going to play this out. We're going to play this out. It's going very well. Okay, so Christian, we're going to be chatting. Let's say we're colleagues. That evens it up a bit more. Okay, um, so I'm just going to say, yeah, I mean, uh, what she was saying is that some of the things that were said early on were very inappropriate, but she didn't know how to handle it. Yeah, um, I'm going to get HR to look at that and come back to you on, like, Wednesday, maybe. Great. <laughs> you, you now have to say something inappropriate. That's the role play. Am I the aggressor? No, 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 you're just... <laughs> You're just going to slip something inappropriate in, so it's maybe like a joke, 
but it's sort of like a sort of slightly sleazy joke. Just for role play. I'm not saying you would do this in real life, Christian. I know you wouldn't. But it's just for the role play so we can see the power of silence. Okay. So this is the first way. This is way A. And then we're going to look at way B and we're going to compare and contrast and see which is more powerful. So you're just going to say, I bet people say inappropriate things to you all the time or whatever. And you're hoping I'll just go, ha, ha, ha. And I'm going to try and stand up to you. And we're going to go way A, way B. Okay, ready? Yeah, so some of the things he said were a bit inappropriate just in the early stages. And she's just documented those here. Right, yeah. Well, I've seen you on Dress Down Friday, so... Uh... <laughs> but, but we'll take a look. Okay, this is way A. This is way A. Christian, I think that's really inappropriate, and I can't even believe, like, you're in employment law, and... <laughs> It's just absolutely bizarre that you would speak to me like that. And I just feel, it just makes me feel really uncomfortable. And I just feel like, it just, I don't, you just don't think it's hard for men sometimes to understand how upsetting that is. And I know that's a joke to you. And I do understand that's a joke to you. And I don't understand it. It's just like, now I feel really unconscious. I feel self-conscious about dress down Fridays. And I just think, I just think, I feel like I can't dress down on Fridays now. I feel I have to dress up on Fridays of anything. Cover up, like I feel I have to be neck to knees. Just, like, that was one time anyway that I, and I know that miniskirt was a bit in bit short, but it wasn't, you know, I had tights on. Okay, so that's way A. Okay, so you do stand up, you do say something, you're not silent. Okay, but this is way B. Okay. Um, so yeah, uh, some of the things there were a, a bit inappropriate. But I mean, you know, they seemed inappropriate to me anyway. So, you know, just take a look. Yeah, well, uh, I've seen you on Dress Down Friday. So uh, I'll take a look anyway. Could you repeat what you just said, please, Christian? <laughs> so, <clears throat> I, I have before now seen you on Dress Down Friday and could see why someone would say that. Right, I'm just going to grab my phone. Hold on. Just going to audio record. Good. <laughs> Could you say that again, please? Shit, no. <laughs> Thank you very much! Power of silence! Thank you, Christian. Big round of applause for Christian. Hello, it's Deborah from The Guilty Feminist. Briefly interrupting this episode of The Guilty Feminist to ask everybody in the UK to support the Scrap the Cap rally for the nurses on the 6th of September. Please go to rcn.org.uk for all the details and follow our Twitter feed because we will have a group of guilty feminists there supporting the nurses at Guilt Fempod and you can hear all about that. It'll also be on our Facebook group. If you are in Australia or New Zealand, we are coming to you on the 18th of October, the 19th and 21st of October, we are in Sydney. Now, the 19th and 21st are also sold out, so we've just put an 18th of October show on. Go to Giant Dwarf, where you can get tickets. On the 20th of October, we will be in Brisbane at the State Library of Queensland, and we'll be in Auckland on the 28th of October at Auckland Town Hall, with the possibility of another show there. Now, if you're in Melbourne... The Guilty Feminist is going to be part of the Festival of Questions on the 15th of October. Right now, you can buy a ticket for the whole day of the Festival of Questions, all of the events. And I am going to be on the bill at various times throughout the day. So please buy a ticket for the whole day if you can. If you just want to come to the Guilty Feminist, which is one individual session of the Festival of Questions, you're going to be able to do that from the 4th of September. Right now, you can just buy the day ticket, but from the 4th of September, you will be able to buy a ticket just for my session. So please check out Melbourne Festival of Questions. Hope to see you at one of those. If you live in London this Saturday, the 9th of September at 2.30pm, I'm appearing in one of the Nassim plays at the Bush Theatre. This extraordinary Iranian theatre maker writes plays for performers to be surprised by in the moment as they uncover them live on stage. I'll be doing this. Please come and join me as I'm on stage, having no idea what's going to happen next. Go to bushtheatre.co.uk to get tickets to see me in a play called Blank, this Saturday and there'll be other amazing performers through the week too like Andy Osho, Dominic West, Mel Gideroyk and Mira Sayal. Check it out. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Our guest today is a playwright and has an extraordinary voice and an extraordinary take on silence. Please welcome to the stage, Somalia Seaton. to hear, have you here, Somalia, because you are uh, a playwright and we are at the Bush Theatre, which is famous for new writing. Yay! I love the Bush. The Bush did this amazing thing called Black Lives, Black Words, which actually started in Chicago in America and it was all around like different states and they brought it over to the Bush a couple of times and then the Bush put some serious welly behind supporting it and getting commissioning writers one of them being myself and collaborating with the creators of Black Lives Black Words and we had an amazing thing there was poets there were singers there were guest artists there it was just fantastic it was most electrifying piece of theatre or it's more than theatre actually it was it was like an event and we all watched it protest style so things would pop up around the space. It was dope. Yeah, it was great. dope, ma'am. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And you have just come back from a silent retreat. It's so funny because I told myself I wasn't going to talk about it and a few days later I come on a podcast that's going to be on iTunes and I talk about my <laughs> silent retreat. Um, no, uh, it was the most profound and beautiful thing I think I've ever done for myself. I uh, have all these like little uh, irritable what's the word like I get really irritated by like people just existing and, um, <laughs> fair enough fair enough and um, I had accidentally booked myself into a room that was sharing I was sharing with three women and so I freaked the fuck out so I like emailed them and I was like I need my own room I need my own room and they were like I'm so sorry but so much love and like ugh, kisses at the end and I was like I can't share a room with these people but it was the most amazing thing. Like, we all got in there and I kind of picked the woman I wasn't going to like because that's what you do. <laughs> like, she burps a lot and, like, she'd just throw her coat everywhere. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to fucking hate her. I even hid my glass because she didn't wash up any glasses. So I started hiding it. And I felt <laughs> so good about it for the first three days. And then I kind of got zen and I decided that was a really childish thing to do. <laughs> Anyway, um, the silent retreat was great. There were like 800 people walking around this huge, beautiful eco-resort in the middle of friggin' nowhere, being silent and not looking each other in the eyes, apart from a few freaks who would um, (laughs) sit down in front of you at lunch and just like stare (laughs) for a really long time. And I was avoid eye contact because I'm really disciplined. So the idea of the retreat was that you would not speak... And also not make eye contact with anybody. And not read or write. And Oh, oh God, that sounds I didn't know awful. That. <laughs> that sounds like my idea of hell. Not read or write. What did you do? Presumably you had your phone. No, no, no. You, no, didn't, my, no, you didn't have your... Yeah, I you didn't. I turned my phone off that evening once the bell had gone to signify our silence. I turned my phone off. And then there were other people in your bedroom. Yeah, but they became like my best friends. We didn't speak at all. And I was so sad on the coach back when I was like, I didn't hug the woman that was in the bunk below me. Um, you didn't know their names or anything like that? I remember the one that, there was one that was always farting. It was the same one that would throw their <laughs> stuff everywhere and that I hit the glass. I remember her name. And I remember another one. Maybe but the don't one, say it. Don't, don't I say won't, it. I, won't. <laughs> I, I genuinely loved them. 
Like, I don't even, it's not one of those things where people go, oh, I love you. And they don't. You know when people say love you at the end, you're like, I don't even know you. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I love these women. <laughs> I'm such a hippie. I love everyone. What, it was great. And what do you think it gave you as a woman or a feminist? What expectations were you allowed to shed by this sort of silent, no eye contact experience? It's funny what you were talking about before about your experience with Sisters Uncut and when you shocked yourself into speaking. Mm. I think women, like, we're constantly in that kind of push-pull of, I need to use my voice right now, or I can't use my voice. I am constantly like, is this the time where I speak? Or am I going to make myself a scapegoat? Do I need to be quiet? Like, Mm. that is so much noise in your head. And what it allowed me to do was just be. And I think a lot of times, I certainly feel as a woman, as a woman of colour, as a black woman, as a six-foot-one-and-a-fucking-half woman, (laughs) um, I constantly feel like I can't just be which is a lie it's a fucking illusion like it's a part of being in this kind of vacuum that we call society that teaches us what's intimidating or teaches us what uh, is vulnerable or what it means to be vulnerable what it means to be intimidating what it means to be someone that's powerful what it means to be someone that's a little bit too apathetic and, and actually it's a lot of that is just an illusion you can just allow yourself to just be and it gave me that so do you think sometimes when we're making assumptions because you and I talked about being tall women mm. and you're taller than me but I'm a tall woman that people often say you're intimidating do you think you stretch that out and you decide everyone's intimidated by you? Is that what you're saying? And actually, half the people aren't even looking at you or don't even care about you? No, fully everyone is, because I'm well intimidating. <laughs> no, no. Um, no, I think, I think there, is, there is truth in our projections and us. I think that we can project stories onto other people. I think there is truth in it for myself. People constantly come up to me like on maybe the second time meeting me or if we're in constant contact, maybe the second day and be like, oh, you know what, you're so cool. You are so cool. You are so funny. I was so scared to talk to you. So intimidating. And I'm just like, what do you want me to do with that? Where would you like me to place it on my body? It's just so boring. So those things are true, but also you can walk into a space and you can expect people to be intimidated. And I can project that onto people. That's my ownership of that. Do you think there's an extra layer, being a black woman as well, that when you're sort of like, oh, you've intimidated me, it's actually, it's a really unkind, unhelpful thing to say that you've intimidated me. If that has been a true experience of yours... Maybe just don't share that. Yeah, but also as well, like the sort of goalposts, I think, for intimidation in my experience, they move. So I'll literally see somebody else who is white be assertive in a certain way and I will do exactly the same thing. And because it's coming out of my mouth, it's all of a sudden worse or harsher. Or And that can be incredibly exhausting, but I do feel I'm learning to still be assertive when I need to be and speak up when I should without worrying about people's reactions. And I just give that person the space to feel whatever they're feeling and wait for them to calm down and then sort of go, well, what about that was scary but Mm. even that position sometimes is so fucking boring Mm. sort of going how do you feel like why do you feel that way and sort of not being allowed to own your anger sometimes because sometimes I'm pissed off and you should just be able to deal with it I feel I used to get so much slack one of my uh, teachers at drama school the head of my course actually he used to be like Somalia uh, your school plays so small and when I started drama school I would like literally hunch over and I learned during that time why I was doing that. And it's like making yourself more kind of accessible or friendly or you're friendly. I mean, some friggin' teacher would be like, you're such a friendly giant, Somalia. You're too hesitant, you know. You you need to move quicker and you need to be faster and, and don't be so generous. And actually, the older I got, the more I realised how much I was overcompensating because I was expecting, and a lot of the time I was right, my instincts were right, but I was expecting people to be scared of me, so I was trying to make sure people weren't. I was specifically, a lot of the time, trying to make sure that white women were not scared of me. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, and men. Like, I remember being at sixth form, and it really wasn't diverse and you're like 16 so like everything's a big deal 
And um, boys would come up to me and my mates. And I remember, like, my best friend, she's still my best friend, Lucy, she's white. They uh, would hug her and they'd be like, hi. And all my other white friends, they would hug them and then they'd come up to me and they'd put their fist out to, like, spud me. Um, fist pump, I think we're calling it. Um, <laughs> and I would just be stood there like, oh, that's a really strange thing to do and not really knowing what to do with it. Now, being in my 30s, it still happens in a different way where you notice that men don't see you as a vulnerable woman or even actually sometimes as a woman yeah sometimes I, I feel that. like men when they meet me they either are really overly sexual or they are squaring up to me like it's the yeah. strangest thing ever so that's like in my 30s that's the fist pump I get yeah I noticed just because I'm my job is so social and so I mean the thing with acting is that you're constantly getting a new job if you work um <laughs> if you're lucky enough to work uh, you're constantly meeting people you're constantly having to start again hello my name's Susan and because I've been doing it for so long since I was a kid I noticed the patterns and it doesn't really affect me anymore but I notice the patterns of behavior which is people are sort of a little bit more reserved they sort of give me my space a bit more and it's normally by like week two people sort of go ah you're really funny mm. ah, you're really cool they then have to talk about the observation of do you know what i felt that you were like this but actually you're like this and you're, yeah. it's really weird conversation being told what people think about you all the time well, yeah what, what, what they, they thought about to you think. yeah what they used all to think and is there something <laughs> when i'm a white woman and i uh, ever did, well if you're listening at home i'm a white woman and uh, yes. <laughs> I, and i'm starting to realize more and more the power that white women have at times. For example, if I was in trouble, I could always run towards law enforcement. And if I make a sort of vulnerable shoulder like that, I will have a certain expectation that people will look after me if I start crying. Mm -hmm. And you were telling me a story. I feel like, yeah, I mean, before I go into that story, I've had, just as a general, several women that have done some really not very nice things to me cry to me yeah. when they've done it so when we've been together and there's an opportunity for us to have like you know just a grown-up conversation and say oh I was a bit shit and me say I was also a bit shit instead there's just been tears um there was this one particular situation where I had like a, a work event abroad and there was this big meeting and everyone was in the room and this meeting was after I had heard through the grapevine that this particular person had said some not very nice things about me and that were a little bit inaccurate and they found out that I found out. And so when we <laughs> attended this meeting, I mean, I'd spoken to, like, literally, I try and work on not being so reactionary at this point in time in my life. So whenever I think I'm about to lose my shit, there are, like, a list of people. Like, there's a, a notebook. Like, if I'm about to lose my shit, you can find the notepad where there's, like, a list of people you can call beforehand. And uh, so I called my mentors and spoke it through. And they were like, just be really graceful and just leave it. Like, this doesn't serve you. This conflict doesn't serve you. So I walked into this meeting, think everything was cool, like hugging everyone. And then I went to get up and go and have break with everybody else. And this person physically stopped me from leaving the meeting space after everyone left and burst into tears. And I must say that I get it. I get all of that. I get the emotions that were involved in that. I get it because I am a shit when I want to be. And I have hurt people before and have felt so disgusted at myself that all I can do is cry so I understand that and we've since sorted it out but at that moment in time I remember thinking I don't want to be here right now I don't want to be in this room I don't want to have to tell you it's okay that you've hurt me it felt really abusive mm. I have to comfort you but you have hurt me like mm. it's so fucked it's, up uh, it's really yeah I sort of think I've worked out that sometimes if you're in the wrong or you're the one that wants to apologize sometimes that's only cathartic to you. Right, And actually yeah. what you're really doing, it's a power switch. What you're really saying to the other person is, tell me it's okay, tell me it's okay, tell me it's okay, fix it for me. Yeah. And actually what you need to do is one warm, sincere apology and then let them not be okay for a while yeah. and let them come back to you on their own terms yeah. and not sort of go, please make it okay today, please make it okay today. We were talking also about the John Ridley gorilla Q&A. Did anyone see this? Yeah, so Gorilla is a television show, which I'm sure is a great television show. I haven't seen it yet. But John Ridley was questioned at a Q&A. He was the director. So he did 12 Years a Slave. 
He's a black director, writer, and he was on stage at the Q&A and a black woman put her hand up and she asked about representation because the lead female character is an Asian woman. And this black woman quite tenuously went, oh, I just sort of wondered why there wasn't more of a sort of black female lead as well as the Asian female lead. And he got really angry and started crying mm-hmm. and saying, mm-hmm. I've got a mixed marriage, my wife's Asian, and, you know, I can't believe you would say that, and started crying. And the woman was made to feel mm-hmm. like she'd done the wrong thing by speaking up. Yeah, well, that happens. That does happen a lot. And I, and I think, like, a lot of the headlines the next day was suggesting that this woman was aggressive, and yet the footage was just... But so also, they totally said that they were part of the Black, Black Lives, Lives Matter, Matter campaign. Mo- they have nothing to do with it. They've got nothing to do with it. And even though the evidence of how the woman asked the question, I mean, it's a Q&A, she's not going to, like, storm the stage. She was being respectful. And people still went with another narrative. I mean, that's a classic example where you just sort of go, do you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not having this conversation. It's really easy to have things like that happen to you all the time. And then you just go, yeah, I'm not doing this. Like, I'd rather just chill out at home and not engage in it. And that's where it gets really dangerous, I think. Did you see the Q&A? What did you think, Smiley? I saw clips of the Q&A and I was just really pissed at here's yet another friggin' situation where you tell, in this case, you tell a black woman that she has no fucking right to tell you that she would like to be seen. It was just beyond me. Mm-hmm. And it was on such a public platform and it felt really kind of contrived, you know, just certain elements of the Q&A which kind of put the people that asked the questions in a bad light even more so just by little strategic things that happened and just the use of tears is really interesting generally and I'm not ridiculing the pain that one would feel if they want to cry but it was just that someone asked about their own representation and then you cry when they they're just asking a question it's a real subtle misuse of power and it was man crying to one of the most oppressed groups in the world. Back in the day, I, and I say back in the day, last year, because I'm working <laughs> on my zen, um, I would have been really fucking angry about that. I was pissed, but I very quickly just felt like you have to put your energy in the right thing. And if you are constantly putting your energy into the face of what is oppressing your group of people whatever that may be if we are women and we are constantly putting our energy into men and being angry at oppressive like patriarchal fucking structures instead of self-love and empowerment for ourselves and empowering each other and working on ourselves then it just doesn't really work I feel and I felt the same in that moment I was like if I'm going to just be so angry at yet another example where a man and a man of colour has not um, done what I want him to do. Or, like, what am I... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he hasn't respected the power balance there. He hasn't. And well, he also, he's a very famous, influential man as well. Mm-hmm. And actually was quite a timid woman in the audience saying, oh, I just wondered, I just had a thought. And he got very angry. Even and that she had to be timid, though, I know that she would have thought that through. She yeah, yeah, thought yeah. That before she opened her mouth. She didn't want to be the well. stereotype of the angry yeah. black woman. And then yeah. he said something like, well, it's because people like you were still asking these questions. I don't know that's the exact quote, but I was just like... <gasps> and it felt like she was really silenced. And afterwards, she and the other woman who stood up as well, they were both said to be... Um, they'd made people cry. They'd upset people. And Those I thought the they were just the asking about more representation for themselves. And that should have been okay, but they were silenced. I have one more thing, which is a terrible terrorist attack happened in London yesterday and it sort of saddened us all and scary and all of those things. And we were talking backstage about the need to speak up on social media, that somebody was getting flack over not speaking up. Yeah, I feel like with social media now, it's like you've always got to comment. You've always got to say how you feel about a subject, which is fine. If you do feel like you are informed enough or you feel moved enough, then sure, knock yourself out. But um, a friend of mine who's a journalist, she's a black woman, she gets it a lot. And because there are loads of issues that would concern a black woman going on in the world she didn't start it loads of people will tweet her she time. didn't start it's not, it's not the fault. fire she's just <laughs> the she's world <laughs> keeps turning as the world keeps but she didn't we, she so didn't we haven't found fire, the man. woman who started the fire we still haven't found if her we, if it is her it'll be awkward now uh, still, no it wasn't her but, but, but she's expected to comment all the time there'll be something every day because 
shit happens every day. They'll be like, why haven't you said this? And why aren't you tweeting about this? And da, da, da. And she said in our sort of private WhatsApp group, she just went, oh my God, these people need to leave me alone. I'm very aware what's going on in the world. I feel very connected to a lot of what's going on in the world because, you know, when things happen that directly affect you, you, you feel it. Mm-hmm. And this is the idea of you've got to be a spokesperson. You've got to have an opinion. Yes. You've got to talk for everyone of your gender and race and religion. And it's just, it's bullshit. And I feel like sometimes when you're sort of given the microphone, it's like, hey, this is what you wanted. You women, you wanted to have opinions, right? So where are all your fucking opinions? And it's exhausting. Sometimes you're like, back off. I honestly feel the reason we need Somalia's silent retreat is because... I feel one of the reasons that our mental health is so precarious now is we all have the responsibility, totally crept up on us, all have the responsibility to edit our own newspaper. Yes. Like, through Facebook and Twitter, I've become a fucking publisher. I'm an editor. I'm like, I've got, what's my angle on this? Mm-hmm. What do I retweet? What do I retweet and quote tweet and add a comment to? Like, I didn't take on the job of running the Evening Standard um, because I think if you've already got a job, you shouldn't be <laughs> doing that. Um, the anxiety I feel about what am I going to say? And I think years ago, some public tragedy would have happened and I would have talked about it to the friends I was with. Now I have to see what every single person I know and love thinks about it. Mm. Loads of acquaintances, loads of their acquaintances, their hot takes, and then loads of assholes I don't even know. And then people quote tweet assholes to say these people are assholes and I have to read the asshole assholery. And I'm like, it's a lot, isn't it? It's a lot. So now if 10 people die, I see that 10 people have died, not just once on the news and once in a newspaper. I see that 10 people have died 10,000 times. And it's doing something to my head. It is. And you have to, like self-preservation is so friggin' important. Yeah. Like the whole reason I even was looking at a silent retreat was because I was constantly saturated with images of like women being hurt or oppressed or tortured or people of color being hurt like constantly that does something to you on a subconscious level when you are constantly seeing yourself in battle or being persecuted and having to comment on it having to write a short editorial on it every single time and you get engaged in these conversations with people then you have to go and run this group for white privileged men (laughs) saying explaining guys it's all your fault you have to give night school classes (laughs) for free you have to to go to my singing lesson and just a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> Do we have any questions from the audience? Hello. Oh, hi. Um, hi. Hi. I just wanted to ask, how how do you recognise misogynoir? <laughs> oh, okay. Do we need to, to define define that? Okay. Perhaps. So, <laughs> misogynoir. Have I said that right? I always. Yeah. Can you say it? She says it so much better. Um, So basically, it's looking at misogyny and race and where that interacts, collides, lives in perfect harmony. So um, (laughs) basically, all the shit that black women have to deal with in regards to their race and their gender. How do you you recognise it? Do you know what? I I remember my first bit of that. I don't know if I've ever spoken about it. I was six and I was at school and I really, really fancied this boy and he was black and he's gorgeous I was six as well so it's fine and uh, it's absolutely gorgeous we used to talk on the phone landlines back in the day and whenever my mum would hear me on the phone she'd be like who are you speaking to and I'd say his name she'd be like oh that's alright because you're going to get married because that's what Nigerian parents do they set you up when you're a child yeah. and um and then one day I asked him out because I was that kid. I was, I was a kid. I was like, let's do this. And he turned around to me and he said, I can't go out with you even though I really, really like you because everyone will laugh at me because you're black. And this is a, a black boy saying this. And this is when I realised that there was a notion that in order to have a partner, in order to excel at life, the partner that you would have by your side as a black man in order to be elevated had to be lighter or white and that was my first bit of experience when I was six so I'm pretty hot at spotting when that shit arrives Mm. because I've had experience yeah that's really interesting one last thing on silence Mm -hmm. I think it can be a great negotiating tactic and I want to know if you guys have had this Mm -hmm. so a friend of mine she's in the arts and she'd been working eight quid an hour and loads of work for free And she was up for something for television, and it was the very first time she didn't know what the person was going to offer. The woman opposite her at the table who was going to offer her this job 
said, oh, so-and-so's spoken so highly of you. So this is a television job and blah, blah, blah. So we'd be looking at offering you £1,500 a day. And my friend just, she said, I just didn't know what to do. She said, I was just so shocked. So she said, I just sat there and I just stared at her and just said nothing. And for ages. And then the woman went, I'm so sorry, I've insulted you. I can go up to £2,500. She just went... She said, I had to just go, I had to just go, I just thought, right, I'm just going to go, okay, yeah, that's sort of more what I was thinking of <laughs> in that region. I mean, if you could go up to three at some point, but two and a half's a good place to start. And she said, I just blagged it out because I realised I'd accidentally, through silence, negotiated. And I recently had the same thing. I missed an email, I just didn't see it. I have so much spam, I'm on all these ridiculous lists. And I just didn't see this email. And I got an email from somebody saying, you know, we haven't heard back and we understand, you know, you've got going on. We've been able to revise our offer. And they'd offered me double what they'd offered me in the last email. I just hadn't seen it. I just hadn't seen it. And they just thought I had been insulted. I'd put it immediately. I deleted it in fury. I hadn't fucking deleted it in fury. Have you ever had this where silence has been your friend, either through you being speechless or you being Uh, unknowing? Every time my partner pisses me off, and I'm silent, I get something. Like, I'm a feminist, but... I'm a feminist, but I love it. Like, um, he's probably going to hear this now. So yeah, he's good. Now he knows, man. Um, but yeah, like, leave your boxes in the bathroom. Going to be silent about it. There'll be five there. I'll be silent. And then he's aware that I'm being silent. He may cook a meal the next day. He may give me a special sexual treat. I don't know. <laughs> there could be several things that happen. So you're hoping he leaves his pants. Do you ever go into the dirty laundry and pull out pants and throw them on the floor so he comes and thinks, oh, shit, I've left them there again? There's a possibility. Uh, Susie, have you ever been silent? Has it worked in your favour? Um, I'm trying to think. I, don't, I think the only time that it's worked in my favour is when I've, like you, I'm kind of bad at replying to texts sometimes and... I just haven't texted a dude back and they're like, wow, like, wow, this girl, she's so busy and elusive and I'm not, I'm normally in my pants watching Orange is New Black. <laughs> and they just think that I'm really alluring and I think sometimes when I'm silent and when I sort of rest my face and I stop smiling, which I, I smile quite a lot, um, but when I sort of do that, it just looks, um, yeah. yeah. If you're Thank listening you. at home, Susie has just slayed this audience with a look. Yes. She's coming on to the audience, actually. I am a little bit. But basically, whenever I sort of be quiet and just sort of let all emotion go out of my face, people think that it's incredibly powerful. So when I look, basically, when I'm bored, I look incredibly powerful. Uh, It's one of the greatest negotiating tactics. We always think we have to fill every silence, Mm. and it's a low-status thing to go, oh, I can't waste any of your time. Just try pausing before you speak more often, because it sends a message to your brain and the room, my time's valuable, and... It's okay. It's okay for me just to sit in the space. And it gives your brain longer to give you a complete thought. Mm-hmm. Now, what Tom's doing now, Ooh, now he's this. using silence. He's using silence to say the show <laughs> is over. I know, right? Yeah, he's basically intimidating us. Spread. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he's uh, using silence. <laughs> yeah. So um, just all we need to do before we do the closing titles is to check in with Christian. <laughs> Have you had a good show, Christian? Loved it. Thank you. You've enjoyed it? Well, which, which was the best bit? <laughs> Poor Christian. Yeah, sure. <laughs> All right, uh, do you have anything to plug, Somalia? I'm plugging me. Great Plug yourself, that. Do you have a um, website? I do. It's been built right now. But Ooh. just put me into Google. I'm probably doing something like... Right, put me into Google, I'm probably doing something. <laughs> I'm so important. Yeah, absolutely. I'm Somalia really Seaton, please Google her, see what's going on. She's got loads of plays coming out next year. She's a fantastic playwright. Uh, Susie Wakoma, what are you doing? Hello. Well, Crazy Head and Chewing Gum still bouncing around online, if you want to give that a little, a little okay. And uh, I have a new show called Porters, which is going to be out on Dave what? Channel with uh, Rutger Hauer. Dave. Wow. Yeah, Rutger You're on Hauer. Dave. I'm a feminist, but I'm on uh, Dave. But, yeah. <laughs> it's <just> Dave. <laughs> Touche, Debs. 
I've got another podcast called Global Pillage at globalpillage.net. And also, I'm doing a new podcast season uh, for Timepiece. Timepiece is a time banking skill sharing app that's coming out very soon. And it's to connect local people with refugees. So you could say, I can teach someone to speak English. I've got three hours. I'll do that. And then you could learn from someone else how to play guitar or cook a certain meal or something like that. And it's to get to connect refugees with local people and create relationships. And we're doing a podcast season. So we're going to have guests on The Guilty Feminist from Timepiece on Global Pillage. And we're also doing two brand new podcasts, one called International Dish and one called National Treasures. In the meantime, check out Timepiece and chuck them some cash because they're still kickstartering. Follow The Guilty Feminist on Twitter at GuiltFemPod. Check out our Instagram, instagram.com forward slash The Guilty Feminist. Like our Facebook page, sign up to our mailing list to get notified as soon as a new episode is released. And please go to iTunes and rate, review, subscribe. It helps other people find the podcast. Give it five stars and you can review every episode. <laughs> Don't, if you've reviewed it once, that is not the end of your responsibilities. <laughs> this podcast. Now, if you've come here today, you've paid for a ticket and thank you. If you're listening at home, it's free every week. So if you could review it, that would be like paying for it. <laughs> Without paying for it. <laughs> See what I mean by that? If you're here and you've paid for a ticket, Kristen, did you pay for your own ticket? Kirsty oh. did. So you haven't paid. Oh, Give me £15 right now. <laughs> Not helping yourself. Seriously. Oh, mate. <laughs> Christian, Christian, Christian. <laughs> what is your surname, Christian? Is it, it's not grey, is it? I Please love it if it were grey. Phonetically, it's not far off, it's Lay. Lay? <laughs> Who are you? Are you an employment lawyer? Who the fuck are you, Lay? Are you an employment lawyer called Christian Lay? Dude. Dude. I'm not sure if your girlfriend has lucked out massively or is in the worst hole of her life. I don't know. This could be the greatest thing. I, we could all be like, just hot for you right now, or we'll be going, Kirsty, run, run, Kirsty, run. Oh, okay. Is, that, you, he is basically Christian Grey, isn't he? I listen to your podcast, so I assume I'm in favour. So I'm a little bit aroused. I'll be honest. <laughs> You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis-White, guest host Susie Bukoma, and our very special guest, Somalia Seaton. The recording engineer was Chris Sharp. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Zielinski with the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Tony and Hannah at PBJ Live and everyone at The Bush, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Thank you very much. Good night. Terrible thing happened in London yesterday, so if you're listening to the podcast, this will be in the future. No, you'll be, this will be in the past. Um, it's how time works. <laughs> it's how basic time works. If you're listening in the future, you're in the future. Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> and we are in the past. <laughs>